this, right? I talked about how the communion just now reminds us that we exist not because of death, but because of life. We exist not to just tell people about condemnation, judgment, and the end of the world, but to show them that there's hope, grace, and life beyond. That's what the church is here to do, to remind a world stuck in despair, depression, anxiety, hopelessness, that God is still alive. God is not dead. The tomb couldn't keep him. Roman soldiers couldn't keep him dead. People have been trying to destroy evidence of the risen Lord for centuries, decades, and they have failed. The existence of a church is a fulfillment of a prophecy mentioned in the Bible about Jesus Christ, that if He is fake, His followers will disseminate and, and there will no more be any word about Him. But today, there's more than a billion Christians around the world and that's a testimony that this one Galilean, one Jewish man was not a lie. Because if he was a lie, you have been gone. So the church today, all over the world, many places, various places, I'm not going to even talk about all the churches, just the, the SDA church ourselves are in 202 countries. It's just one denomination. And there's so many, all everywhere. That's a testimony. But it's easy to forget the core idea of why we exist. In 2012, I, I finally get to visit my favorite city before. It has changed, right? So, but before I went to the United States, my favorite city in the United States was New York. You know, you grew up hearing about it. I've talked about it in my sermons. So I really wanted to go. See, because my original idea was to go there and study. It didn't happen, right? It couldn't happen. And, but 2012, finally, my second year in Andrews, I had some students that I ministered to from in the Korean church that, that lived in New Jersey. And so one Christmas, which is the loneliest time in Andrews University, I was invited home. So glad, because everybody just leave the campus. The campus of 4,000 people suddenly become 400 people. And of the 400 people, 380 are like faculty. And then there's like 20 of us who are international students. So it's very lonely. It's not like what you see on TV, chestnut roasting. No, no such thing. Right? It's just Maggie me on, on pot stove, right? But that year, I was invited home and I got to go to New Jersey. We, we drove for 12 hours. 12 hours, three of us carpool, it was one of the most fun because it's like, you must remember it snows and the roads there are ridiculously slippery. And then we, we drove home together, um, four of us, we dropped off various people along the way, uh, one in Pennsylvania and then as we're nearing the outer skirt of New Jersey and he lives nearer to the, the Manhattan side of New Jersey and then we went to his place. And so the first night we were there, we rested and the second day, so, so th this friend, this student came and says, Pastor James, we're going to go Look at the most beautiful view from New Jersey. So this is the site, right? This is the site from Hamilton Park. He drove me out to the site, the river, and then lo and behold, there was Manhattan, New York City, the Big Apple. And he's just like, we just stood there and just like, like he's from New Jersey. He's seen it a thousand times, but both of us were just standing there and just like, this is so beautiful. And we just looked there and we admired the place and i like, we need to go, right? We need to go. It's ridiculous to go to, to Manhattan if you drive. It's $16 US dollars to just go in. Not to mention the parking. 
So we were not stupid. So we did not do that. So we, we took the bus. There's a bus in New Jersey where you, you park your car and then you take the bus. And even the bus is like eight US dollars. Just like across the bridge. Eight dollars. All right. And then I'm like, dude, Singapore would be 80 cents. You know, anyway, but we went across and we were there. Um, and of course, you have to go and, and have the look of the whole city, right? Right, Empire State Building, you go up and then you climb, you pay another stupid tourist dollars, like 60 over dollars, I think was it. Just go up and then you get a, a tour of the city and then you go and then they built the city where there's, oh, the, the, sorry, the tower where there's this viewing gallery behind the glass. This is taken behind the glass. You can see some refraction there. They can go up further, which the whole world is trying to get a glimpse of. It's where it's open with like wire mesh and then you can view the city from there. Uh, I couldn't take a picture because there's heads all the, everywhere, you know, just like... So the glass was better. You put it right close to the glass, you could take a photo, right? And uh, so, so it's beautiful. Like, it's exactly what I thought it would be. The vibe was awesome. New York was New York. Um, and, and I felt like this is really nice. I really love this city. I really like this city. Then you go to the famous Times Square, right? Go to the famous Times Square. And you go there, and, and this is like where the original, the OG of Shake Shack is. If you don't know where Shake Shack, what Shake Shack is, <laughs> it's everywhere now in Singapore, right? Jewel and uh, Orchard Road. Um, so that, that's the, the crazy thing is, it's like a really small part of Manhattan, but it's like where the whole world goes, who goes to New York will go, right? The Times Square, the, the people will walk all around, uh, you get Ninja Turtles and Super Marios, and if you take a photo with them, you pay five US dollars. Do not take a photo with them, all right? And so they're all around, and then, and then original Shake Shack, and then there's like, an hour queue to get into Shake Shack. But if you walk 10 minutes to the second store of Shake Shack, there's no queue. But everybody has to go to the original. The burger's exactly the same. So me and my friends like, you know, he's from New Jersey. He knows the place like, Pastor James, only tourists go here. We go there. <laughs> We finish our meal. People are still lining up. All right? So this is really nice. And then, and then he left. He had some errands to run. And I said, I'll, I'll get back. I'll take the bus back. I know where it is. I'll call you when I get to the, the train station. And then you can pick me up from there. All right? So he left me for the day. And I explored the whole, whole uh, Manhattan by myself. I walk around. I met Hugh Jackman. All right? Because I was, I was at the back of the, the, the Broadway. I didn't know where I was. I was at the back alley of Broadway where the, the actors exit. And I told you the story, I was on the wrong side of the street because the other side was all these reporters with, with cameras. And I was walking on that side and I'd be like, right? <laughs> and lo and behold, the door opens and I know why they're there. Then Hugh Jackman walks out and I go, hey, mate. And then he's like, hey, mate. And then he gets in the car. And I was in a lot of those photos. And those reporters hated me for that, I'm sure. I'm, I'm surprised the security didn't just headlock me and slam me to the ground. Uh, I, look, I think I look so blurred, right, as a tourist. Hey, man. And then I walked, right? So, and then I explored. But the thing is with New York City, as you walk around, right, you, I, there's all these famous places, the Soho, and all these interesting things you want to see, Rockefeller, uh, Rockefeller, and then all these things. But then as you walk, you come to places like this. This is also Manhattan. Really run down. And all I could think of when I was there was Jackie Chan. Because he would climb those stairs and then jump. Right? You can picture it with me now, right? <laughs> like, but this is where I was, and it was graffiti. It was I walked, I turned myself into this alley. The moment I turned, I'm like, I'm going to get out of here. So I'm going to get mugged. 
which most likely I would. So I didn't go in. I didn't go in. And this is, I, in fact, I think this, this is not, I didn't take this photo because I was too scared to take a photo. Uh, in fact, I think this is one of the most famous back alley in New York where they film a lot of the crime, the murder, and all that stuff in this alley. And as I walked away, I was just, I walked back and I got to the bus and I was on my way back and I was just thinking to myself, because the thought started then and then it ended this week. <laughs> Eight, nine years, right? But it came back as I was thinking through that it's so easy to look at something from like far and go like, that's beautiful. That's awesome. That is incredible. And then you go to the famous places and it's like, yeah, it's exactly what it is. It's awesome. But if you really get down to the, the, the ground level, you get down to the individual level, you get down to the human level. Like I joke about the Ninja Turtles and the Super Marios, but behind those masks, who is that person? Why does he have to do this? It's easy to label scammers and these guys as dangerous people, gangster, whatever. Why? But why? Why in such an awesome, amazing city portrayed in, in the media that then there's this other part of it? That this back alley that me as a tourist would feel unsafe to not want to walk down in this apparently picture-perfect scenario. Maybe that's what we need to do. Maybe with our own lives, maybe with how we view others, maybe with the viewing of situation, to stop hovering at this very high level, impersonal, dehumanized level of looking at situation, to get down to this level, descend into where humans actually have names. I talked about names last week. It's so easy to hate somebody or dislike a certain group of people or to categorize things when you don't know people. I call them Ninja Turtle, Super Mario, but what if the person took off the mask and, oh, that's my student from Andrews University? Suddenly it would change. It's so easy to stay safe. It's so easy to stay at this high view of things and go, it should be this way, it should be that. That's how you should work. That's how you should be dealt with. But the moment you get down to the ground level, when you descend into humanity, you realize that maybe everybody has a story. It's so easy for me to say the Westlight Dormitory migrant workers. Then you put a name to the guys you're dealing with. So it's when you say Lorong 1, Block 1501481149, until you meet a person the person that just keep coming back to my mind is Eric, Eric McCall that I met that is full of tattoos. He's half Indian, half Caucasian, and then he was ex-Adventist. Knock on the door. You know he's Adventist when you can pronounce it properly. I said, I'm from the Seventh-day Adventist. Oh, you, Seventh-day Adventist? I know you. He's about 70 years old, I think. And he's like, I used to go. Used to. Keyword. What happened? Then you go on and find out the story. Then you realize it's easy to say backslider. Right? It's easy to go like, oh, this guy left the church. 
bad Christian or bad Ventist. But when you know the name, you know the story, you hear the story, you see the person, all of a sudden it changes things. So maybe God is trying to show us through the communion, through his life, that we like easily, especially for people like in Singapore, all of us who are educated, good jobs, comfortable life, air-conditioned auditorium, to look at things from our level and forget that we need to go down back to the ground. Continuously, the media is telling us stories categorizing this country, China, U.S., Australia, France, just so general things that you, you categorize them and just like the, the people there are all like that. Really? That's why racism happens when people say, oh, all of you from this place are like that. I like, really? The more, all of us from this block are different. How can it be the whole country be the same? And at the same time, you look at people, look at Christian groups, like all Adventists are bad or all Adventists are this. I hear it all the time. Oh, you Adventists blah, 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 blah. I'd be like, dude, that's like 25 million of us. My name is James, by the way. Nice to meet you. To descend down and realize that we're dealing with people, humans, someone that Jesus died to redeem. may change how we handle situation. But we don't want to. Because especially people in affluent society, as we're so used to comfort. Comfort not just as in comfortable chairs, comfortable environment, but comfortable in the way we think. That's what I've been taught all my life. I think this way. This is comfortable. Any challenge to that will make me uncomfortable, so I'm not going to look at it. I'm not going to even think about that. That happened to me Thursday evening. I'm doing some reading for my school and I'm reading through a book and the book just like cancelled 40 years of my life because I thought of something a certain way and I read through the book I'm like, I've been wrong for 40 years? It was really hard. I, that night I was depressed. I'm like, dude, it's not, awesome. it's not like my entire life was wrong but a certain point I used to hold on to as I read through the book, as I struggled with it, I realized I was wrong Oh, man, I didn't want to talk to people on Thursday. I'm like, dude, 40 years of error. I'm a failure. Then God spoke. James, when were you ever perfect again? It's good that you learn it now. Better than when you're learning when you're 89. <laughs> and I went back, wrote my book report on that book, ranted a little bit to my prof about how I hate him for making me read this book then thanking for it. It's uncomfortable. It's not nice. It's not nice to get ART checks. Thank you, Lindsay. I did it yesterday too. So now pastors are doing it too, right? So uncomfortable. So <laughs> it's just like, thank God it's not PCR. Um, but then give me assurance. I, 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 of the discomfort causes me to look at myself and go, all right, I'm 80% sure I'm, I'm okay. 80% only, not 100%, right? So discomfort comes, brings some revelation, truth, that actually is good. So what are your, what's your way of looking at things that maybe you need to just come down a little bit and look at things in closer proximity, right? We also like reliability. 
We like things to be constant, consistent. Right? Things should work like clockwork if possible. Just talk to the people who MRT, got, the line got dis disrupted. I'm supposed to be home by now. I'm supposed to be at Junction 8 Tapao in my dinner. But the MRT line stopped. I'm still at Raffles Place at 8 p.m. Everybody putting grab. Grab went up to like $50 and for, for me to get home. All the buses are like overloaded. We like real reliability. And because of that desire for consistency, reliability, we maneuver or we avoid discomfort. We stick with what we know because changing the way we think may cause unreliability. Things will change. It's like me. I used to always go to this specific supermarket to buy my vegetables. I was a supermarket person. Aircon, trolley, comfortable. Then one day, I accidentally went to this place that has this shop, not a wet market, but it's a shop that sells vegetables, and I was too lazy to, to move my car, so I, like, I'll buy the vegetables from here for this week. I am the grocery guy in my house, right? And we went home, and Tiffany's like, where did you go today? Or like, that random shop lah, in Bishan North, vegetables, you know? Okay leh. So fresh. So good. Oh, really? Now you go there and buy every week. But it's out of the way. I have this, Monday is my grocery day, right? So I have this, this, this journey I plan. Then come home. Now I have to change my whole Monday routine. But the vegetable is fresh. And it is nice. Okay, well, change. They have to rethink, okay, what's the plan? My game plan is to go and get back within an hour and a half. Tiffany has no plan when she goes shopping. <laughs> she goes and is distressed. That's the plan. Except, you know, my plan is get the groceries. Her plan is distress. Different motive. Different journey. Different aisle. Vegetable aisle. Snack aisle. Different. Eh? We like reliability. I know the supermarket. I know where to go. Bam, bam, bam. Get my veggie. Check out myself. Beep, beep, beep. Gone. Now I have to go and, and elbow with the aunties. <laughs> Auntie. Then the thing is that place, every week the vegetable is different because they go with what, what's fresh. That's why it's nice. And we have to go. And the, the owner's a young guy. I say, bro, what's good this week? And then like, all of a sudden, I, like, I feel like my mom. Because my mom will ask, is this nice? I'm like, which seller will tell you my vegetable is horrible? Don't buy it. It doesn't taste good. And I always laugh at her for that. Now I'm that guy. Hey, bro, which one is nice? Huh? The answer is everything. And he said, all good, lah, bro. All good one. Which one is the best? And he'll pick out a random veggie. Lah. This is the best. Most expensive one. <laughs> right? That's, I've become that uncle. I go and I have to deal with the unreliability, look at the vegetables, what's available, buy it. And we also like safety. Because we think the way we think, because reliability will give us the safety. But the question that I'm asking today, is your way of thinking really reliable and really giving you safety, not prescribed by the world, but prescribed by the Scripture? What is 
safety? Is it based on your position in life, material possession, your, your, your role, your, your company title you have, your job, your educational whatever, your, 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 your family connections, or is it based on your looks? Because you look handsome or beautiful, then you will have safety, you make it in life. Research has shown thus that handsome guys and beautiful girls do get better chances. But that's all it does. It gets you in the door. You have nothing to offer. You're out the door. Alright? Is that what you're relying on? Is that what you work on all the time? What are you spending most of your time doing? Securing your job? Getting more education? Getting more possession? Making yourself look better? Count your day, your count hours, how long you spend in front of the mirror? How long? How long you spend reading the Bible? I'm sure that most other things takes more time than reading the Bible. How much time you spend praying? Dear God, bless my looks. <laughs> what are you praying for? And the ultimate statement that I'm going to make today is this. The fear of loss has robbed the world of more life and flourishing than any actual loss we could ever suffer. We are living in a time where we are driven, motivated. We choose what we do based on fear. I'm scared. And because of fear, we do this. Because of fear, we do this. Because of fear, it hasn't even happened. But we do it because of fear. But let me bring you to a guy who gives us fearlessness. Philippians chapter 2, actually. Not chapter 1, I'm sorry. Chapter 2, verse 6 to 11. Philippians chapter 2, verse 6 to 11. I talked about 3 to 6 previously. Today I'm going to go on. I love the book of Philippians. Chapter 2, Philippians chapter 2, verse 6 to 11 talking about the person we're celebrating in communion today, the person, the God who chose to descend. Verse 6, Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death at the cross. Verse 9, Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. There's so much here that I can't go through everything, but I'm going to share with you what struck me this week. The teens and I, we've been reading through Philippians for almost two weeks now, and I've been reading for about a month. There's so much. Every time we read through the four, it's only four chapters, but every time we read through it, I'm getting the teens to journal, and they find stuff. And I find stuff. I mean, I just, this, this book is 
awesome. And I've read through chapter 2 many times, but today, again, as I read through it uh, for this week, like, just awesome. But the first thing, that we as Christians bear our name not as just a name, but the name that we bear is the name of Jesus. That the name we bear should drive out all fear because as we read in our scripture reading today, in Psalms, it tells us that our fear is not based upon our own ability, our own strength, how much muscle you have, how good you look, how much possession you have, education, your status. is based upon our fortress, which is Jesus. If you're basing your strength on something else today, I would like to remind you to stop and think. What are you basing your courage and your bonus, your, your comfort upon? Is it because you think you're such a good planner, you've planned your rest of your life out? Like me, I like planning, they're like, I'm set, I'm done. Is it because you think, all right, I've been a good Christian, I've done this, I've gone to every communion that's ever offered, I've been to church every week, I pay my tithing offering, I pray every day, I read my Bible every day, I'm good. Where are you basing your confidence? And also, to realize that the name we bear is not just Christian, it's Christian James Tham for me. That God doesn't just look at Christians as Christians, He looks at you as you. That it's not just he's looking at generally this category. He's looking at an individual person. Who are you? And how are we? You do not get into this assurance, this confidence, because you are a part of this community, although it helps. This community is here to help, but it doesn't guarantee. We do not offer salvation by membership. Nor do we offer salvation by works. And people ask me, what is salvation then by faith? It means you have faith in the one you trust because you know he is your fortress. To go from God to Jesus. That's why he came to earth. He didn't come to earth to just do his job and go. That would have taken one day he took 33 and a half years because he came to live his life here so that we could see his life, understand his life, mimic his life, build a relationship with God because that's the only revelation of God is through him. So if you've not spent your time understanding this intentional effort by Jesus to descend from way up high to down here, living his life so that the scripture is written so you can understand who he is, then you've missed out on God's offering. You can only understand who God is by reading about who He is, establishing this relationship with Him personally, mimicking the way He lived His life by looking at how He's done it first and gaining power through the source of power that He gained Himself while He lived as a human being through the Holy Spirit. How are you living your life? Are you living your Christian life based upon the knowledge you have? I know the Bible. I memorized the Bible. That's why I'm good. But you don't even care about the Holy Spirit. 
Holy Spirit is God, by the way. You can't worship God by ignoring God. You can't just take one trinity out of the whole equation and say, that works. I want Jesus. I don't want God the Father. I don't want the Holy Spirit. They all represent, they help us understand, but it all accumulates in the expression of who Jesus is, of course. Who being in the form of God, did not consider equality with God. That's powerful. He emptied himself. He gave out any advantage he has over humanity. He became us so that we could learn and live like him, be victorious like him, powerful like him, fearless like him. Because though he lived a life that is constantly under stress, constantly under anxiety, we are like COVID, stress, lockdown, stress. Jesus is like, people are trying to kill me. Not accidentally by getting the virus, but like intentionally planning for his death. In fact, he knows he's going to die. But he was assured. He knows who he is. He knows that the life he lived is important because he helped us understand who God is. So have you spent time getting to know Jesus through the express written Jesus? Not your own imagined Jesus. Not your own philosophical Jesus. Not your own historic Jesus that's based on archaeology archaeology, and not the Bible. That's good, but it's not. It cannot replace. So the posture we have to learn is to descend down, to see clearly the picture. When I talk about Manhattan, I talk about how you view it from afar, the beautiful lights, the beautiful skyline, to go to Empire State Building, to see the whole landscape and look at the vastness and awesomeness of Wall Street or Fifth Avenue. To go to Times Square, look at this manicured tourist spot to the back alley. I'm asking you not to just descend in your view of others, but descend in your view of yourself. Have you created a false picture of who you are and you're viewing yourself from this externally defined factor, but you've not seen who you are deep inside? Maybe you're just like the back alley. Only when you realize that you have nothing to offer will then really, really, then you go and depend on the fortress, the source of strength, the Hosanna. When you realize there's nothing you can do to earn the peace you, you desire, then you go to the Prince of Peace, the lily in the valley, the true shalom that you can't manufacture. Maybe you need to descend and have a clear view of who we are as human. Take away everything we have. Take away our affluence. Take away our stable society, our expected tomorrow, our consistency in how life should be to realize that anything, anything could happen just like I was afraid in the back alley of being mugged because it's just so much surprise and unexpected things may happen to look at yourself through that eye that I don't know what I would do. I don't trust myself. I can only trust God. That's what a communion is about. The communion says, now this body that's broken for you, this blood that's shed for you, is not just to shed and then wipe your sin, objectifying human beings, but to humanize you and say, now the life you live is injected with the body, the blood of Christ. Then the life you live now, you don't live by yourself, but you live by Jesus in you. 
Because you don't trust yourself to be in control of your life because you're no expert at life. You, you're just really bad to give and hand over control to the one who is the source of life itself to say, why don't you take charge? To try to s- stop seeking for happiness, for satisfaction, for flourishing through your own energy because there's nowhere and nowhere you'll find it is only by allowing God, the true giver of flourishing, to take over. Can you get it? Maybe you need to descend and understand the posture we need to take in looking at who we are. We need to be humble. Being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. I don't think anybody is asking us to be a martyr today. I don't think anybody is being asked to give up your physical life today. But maybe today we need to give up certain control and life we've been giving, the death to certain things as taking charge of who we are, the idols we have, maybe that needs to die. What are you holding on and and trusting and relying on to be your life that is not Jesus? What do you have to give up? What do you have to let die? What do you have to be, what do you have to struggle with, with obedience that you have to give it up? Say, God, I'm being obedient to the point of death, to the point of death of this thing that I've been relying upon to show me meaning and life. I'm going to let it go. Because I know you are life itself. You, you are my God. You can grant me life and there shall be no others. You need to realize that death, the death comes by obedience, not to the way of living life, but by giving up. Not to like do more, but to hold on to less. His incarnation shows us that we, he relinquished everything that he has the right to, which actually we don't have to give us the right to gain access to. So Jesus' death comes and says, now I'm offering everything I have to you, humans. James, do you want it? Do you want it? He's not offering it in general terms to Christians. He's offering it to all of us individually, in our own story, in our own circumstances that says, do you want it? It's not our preset curriculum that you have to follow to gain Christ. You have to go through your own journey, your own storyline to gain Christ. What is that story? What is the step you have to take, the next step in your story of Jesus? To relinquish, to give it up, and to trust in the next few verses. Therefore, God exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow, every knee, not some knee, not just Christian knees, every knee shall bow, in heaven, on earth, under the earth, even those who have died, will rise and bow to Jesus, and every tongue, this is crazy, because knee, you could just be like, I I can't win, I'm going to submit, but that every tongue will actively confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Even those who are against him, even those who hate him, even those who killed him, his enemies, even Lucifer, have to confess Jesus is Lord. He's lost. Our God is a winner. Our God is a champion. Our God offers us the chance to win at life, but do you 
wanting? Do you want to participate in that? You can't just participate by, by, by being an SDAC member. You've got to participate as an individual, as a person who has an individual, personalized relationship with Christ. And then there's community come together to support and help each other flourish and grow in that life. But first, you have to make that decision for yourself. Two things we need to confess. We need to confess our inability to save ourselves. Nothing. Not even as a pastor, I have nothing to offer. Nothing. I'm zero. Because my Lord became zero. Who am I to be better than Him? And then to confess that your God is also Lord. Not just of you, not just of the church, not just of Christians, but of every being in heaven, on earth, and underneath the earth. These two confessions, these two confessions, it's going to be something we need to think about. In order to receive what you've been looking for your entire life so far, You've been searching, you've been trying different things, various things. Hasn't given you what you wanted. God is offering it to you. Confess that you're nothing. Confess that Jesus is Lord. That's where you receive. That's when you receive. That's how you receive. And the crazy thing is, the God of the universe is offering it to you. I'll try to butcher Spanish. This, this, this organization is called Paz Ye Esperanza. Peace and Hope. It started by a group of lawyers in uh, South America where they were trying to bring justice and fairness back into the Latin America and, and I'll call her Jane, volunteered for a trip with them. So she was there in Peru, working with the people there. And then she realized something. She has gone there with the mindset, she's American, that I am here to save you. I'm here to save you. She's a Christian, of course. This organization is pretty much Christian. I'm here to give you what you need. I'm here to offer you my education, my resources. Let me give you this, and your life will transform and be good. But as she was there, she spent time there. She was chatting with the villagers. I said, how long have we worked with you guys? 20 years. 20 years. Then he struck her. How is it that after 20 years, they still need foreign missionary to come and give them education and give them resources and be their savior? Shouldn't they be saved by now? Something was not right. And so she decided, I'm not here to give, 
but let me just walk. I'm going to walk and go through these two weeks, that her first, the next two weeks, as a student of this village. And as she walked, she went through, she goes through, there, there was this journey where they had to walk an hour in order to, to, to get uh, gross of food back to the village. And all they had previously was going to be a 15-minute trip. Previously, the foreign missionary would rent a beautiful white SUV, pick up the villagers, drive 15 minutes, which is an hour's walk, pack the, 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 the SUV out with all the needed resources, drive it back, feed them lunch, maybe McDonald's, I don't know what, and then call it a day. But today she's not going to do it. Today she's going to walk and walk the journey with them that they walk. So it's an hour's journey. And as they walk, it was lunchtime. She's chosen not to bring her money because they don't have money. And she was there. It was lunchtime. The villager, the leader of the, the, the group turned around and says, now it's time for lunch. And they brought out a bag of rice. And you could see the maggots in the rice. That's protein. Not a joke, but reality. That's all they have. Pour it into a, a stone stove, cooked it, passed it around, came to Jane. Jane ate it. And then the leader turned. Now you are one of us. Then she realized for the longest time she's created a system where they've relied on external resources to provide for the village. They've never ever taught them to change their own village. What they've taught in the 20 years is to rely on the Americans to bring them what they need. So for the next year that she was there, she decided that she's not going to interfere in any decision-making, but support them in whatever they ask her to support. It was a long journey, of course, but every time they had a meeting to decide what they should do next for the village, Jane would get up and she'll walk out. So much so that she got the name Los Gringos Que Carimina. The Gringo is the, the foreigner, the foreigner who walks which tell her two things. This foreigner walks with them and walks out to give them power to decide how they want to live their life. Jesus didn't have to learn like Jane, but Jesus is offering us the two same thing. He came to walk with us, although he didn't need to. Of course, he didn't have to learn that we, we needed to realize that we also have to make our own personal decision to grow ourselves. God won't force you to change the way you live your life. God won't force you to depend on Him. God won't force you to invite Him into your house, but God will offer. And you say, God, why don't you just make me a Christian? God will not do that because He'll walk out because this is your decision to make. And, if, if he, and he knows that if He forces you, like maybe like my parents when I was younger forces me, it will not be my personal faith. The church will not force you church will offer it to you. And as Jesus walked, the church will walk beside you, listen to you, 
identify your own journey, but at the end of the day, you have to decide for yourself whether you want to continue to depend on handouts or to start having a personal relationship with God. Do you depend on the pastor every week coming to hand out little snippets of sustenance for the week, or are you going to decide that you're going to live this life of a real relationship with Jesus and flourish and experience what you've longed for in Christianity your entire life and yet to receive it today? The choice is yours. The church will not shut you out of the church because you choose not to. The church will continue to walk beside you, but the challenge, the question, the the. the the thing I'm urging all of you to do today is to choose what you're going to do about your life. Because maybe it is not by coincidence that I found this story. Essex's been around for 21 years. 22. And some of you have been here from the beginning. I have not. Is there something more that you yearn for this, from this experience? This? Is that all you're asking for? Or is there something more that you want? If you do... Take it. It's yours to take and yours to grow, yours to get, yours to receive. And we'll keep walking. And I will need your help in my walk too. Because we as a community, there's no more or less. We're all walking beside each other in this journey of life and journey of faith. It's time for the closing song uh, for this quarter. It's Go Tell It on the Mountain.
receive the benediction. May the love of God, the grace of Jesus, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you from now till we meet again next Sabbath. And may every moment feature strongly the work of God in your life. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.